Blog Talk Radio. It's January 28, 2018. Hello and welcome to Working for a Living Radio Show, where progressives for change present opinions that matter. Tonight, we're joined by co-host David Fillion and Jeff Brown. I'm your moderator, Leroy McKnight. Please remember, good leadership is never about power and control, but rather for the honor and the privilege of serving the members in the interest of those members. To be sure, each and every member of our leadership team in Working for a Living are committed to returning our union, the UAW, to a labor ethos. And that ethos then administered in the interest of all rank and file. We do that second to none. We have your back. Having said that, we certainly hope most of you stayed safe this past week. Most all of you know Facebook group, members of the UAW administrator, Matt. Unfortunately, last Thursday evening, Matt's mother passed away. Our condolences, thoughts, and prayers go out out to Matt, his family and friends. Let us please observe a moment of silence for Matt, his family, and friends. Thank you. He's been very set back by this. He's reported that he's doing better today, but it's a very difficult time. So please, everybody on the members page where he's the administrator, keep that in mind for the next few days. Matt send his thanks to each and every person who send their condolences and anything else to him. So uh, we've been in contact with him, and he's a wonderful brother, an amazing man, and with a, a tremendous family around him. So let's keep that in mind for the next week or so for him. Thank you. Uh, announcements, we have a lot of them, a couple of them pretty long. So uh, first, remember that Team Working for a Living supports Medicare for Everyone and the removing of that $127,000 cap. Uh, second, second announcement is reported last week that since the tax bill passed, Toys for Us closed 180 stores, Sears closed 63 stores, Kmart closed 45 stores, Macy's closed 68 stores, Sam's Clubs closed 63 stores, Kimberly Clark laid off 5,000 plus, carrier jobs have moved to Mexico, Gap announced the closing of 200 plus stores. Announcement number three, UAW membership numbers, these are estimated, but they're as close as we can get. The total membership is 1,016,000. Retired membership, 600,000. That's 59% of the total. Active members, 416,000 as of the last filing of the LM2. 
That's 41% of the total members. FCM, FCA members, 38,000, 9% of the active workforce. Ford members, 52,000, 38% of the active workforce. GM members, 52,000, 13% of the active workforce. Those are the latest numbers we've had, but there have been some layoffs. The Detroit 3 total was 142,000. That's 34% of the actives. Independent parts suppliers total, 163,000, 39% of the actives. Technical office and professional services, TOPS, 111,000. That's about 27% of the active workforce. As you can now see, the Detroit 3 has become one-third of the membership due to the current UAW leadership acquiescing to outsource outsourcing of former Detroit 3 jobs. Also, UAW vice president positions are not dependent, uh, independent positions as the local unions are, but rather by assignment of the UAW president. In other words, the three vice presidents run at large and they get assigned uh, their assignments by the president. And according to the above numbers, you can see that at 9% of the active membership does not speak well for FCA being entitled to a full vice president position. The breakdown of the membership is about one-third Detroit 3, one-third IPS, and one-third TOPS. follow up on that, the largest group in the UAW social media has 14,993 members. That's the group where Matt's the administrator. That's the largest active group of UAW members. That's 1.47 of the total membership. Even if that's double, it's only 2.9% of the total membership. Let me give you a quote from Edward Albert Wiggum. The more you know, the more you know how little you know, and therefore you're humbled by the vastness of knowledge. In this case, the vastness of the membership. There are folks out there that think social media is the answer everything, and it's simply not. There are 97% of the membership that aren't on social media that can be identified as UAW members. Isn't that interesting? So be very aware of inc incorrect perceptions and unintended consequences when relying on things that aren't exactly correct. Announcement number four. Ford has reported that it will announce product cuts later this year. Number five, Detroit News announced the Icabelli agreement. More on that later in the show. By the way, that's on the .com in its entirety, and you can read that. Announcement six, Detroit News reported that 
UAW Dennis Williams stated that labor bargaining is not tainted by the corruption. Speak for itself. We'll talk about it later. Announcement 7. On January 26th, it was reported that OSHA has cited Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company for exposing its employees to burn, hazardous energy, and amputation, and caught in safety hazards. With proposed penalties of $69,058. You imagine an amputee, and the only penalty is a meager $69,058. Announcement 8, there will be a Working People's Day of Action on Saturday, February 24, 2018, on the Ohio State House steps. Please consider attending that if you're close enough to go. Announcement number 9, it's been reported that around the country, Management has been working on the line in violation of our exclusive rights to those jobs. We'll see how many agreements are being written or if we've come to that point where we don't. Announcement 10, Title 29 USC 481G is a federal law that prohibits using dues dollars to promote any union candidate. Should you be approached by anyone being paid or otherwise using dues to promote any candidate, please email Working for a Living at Working for a Living with the date, time, place, and name of person who contacted you, along with the nature of what you were told. Thank you, and the reports have been flowing in. Announcement 11, out of respect for everyone's work-life balance due to the Super Bowl next week, next week's show will be an encore radio show. We hope you enjoy that. Thank you very much. On to e uh, messages and email. Uh, number one, great show. And that came in from all around the country uh, last, regarding last week's show. We, we appreciate that. Thank you, everybody that, that said that. Very, very nice to hear it. Uh, announcement number, uh, I'm sorry, email number two, regarding the uh, Icabelli plea agreement, uh, amen, put in print, loved it, best news I've heard in years, the truth will set you free. And that was from Michigan. And I'm just reading how they send them in, so it might have sounded a little disjointed, but that's uh, some people talking phrases sometimes. So. Uh, email three. Uh, thank you for all of this information. Well done. That's from Tennessee. Thank you. Uh, email four. I appreciate appreciate you thinking of us and sharing information of value from Tennessee. Again, thank you. Uh, Leroy, can you give another example of a second class within a class? And that's from Ohio. Let me finish the emails first. I'll do that. Uh, email six. We had... Numerous uh, email, uh, yeah, we had numerous emails regarding using dues dollars to promote union candidates, um, and there's some speculation. Ah, well, we'll leave that at speculation about social media training. So we'll just we don't know what that's being done for. So uh, we don't know. Um, 
want to thank all the email writers for writing in. We appreciate it. We encourage it. Sometimes they just come in a form of a message, and uh, we take those into account as well. So thank you very much for all those. Uh, up next is this week's quote, sort of apropos. I've seen it a little bit throughout this past week. It's uh, worth repeating. I guess it was on one of the posts that I made. Everybody should hear it. Uh, starts out, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's by Sir John Dahlberg, hyphen action, Acton, A-C-T-O-N. Uh, he's from, from England. He was the seventh baronet, I guess. So uh, uh, that's how that went. Uh, there. Uh, let's bring on our host, uh, Jeff. Are you there? Young here, everybody. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Uh, how'd your week go? I'll get into that uh, email in a minute, uh, but we'll get uh, get our hosts, co-hosts brought on. So how'd your week go, Jeff? Um, I was home sick most of the week, and I'm still having problems hearing. Um, my left ear is really bad. I can't hardly hear out of it. Um, your voice sounds a little bit different to me right now than it did yesterday. Are you feeling okay? Oh, I'm I'm good. I'm a little little uh, busy, so yeah. But I'm good. I I got a little bit of a nasal thing going on, but it's not too bad yet. Okay. So uh, I'm taking lots yeah. of you know the vitamin C and stuff. So we're doing okay. Good. Yeah. Uh, let me bring David on. David, you there? I got Leroy Jeff. Glad to be here tonight. Um, you guys had your flu shot and your pneumonia shot? No. That's a little tune-up from me. You guys need to be more proactive in your health care. Well, uh, that's, that's kind of the way it goes. You know, I, I don't want to disparage anybody from taking a flu shot, but every time I take one... It, it, it's the wrong flu for that year. There's like 250 strains of it, and I think I've had 260 of them already. So uh, I had the real bad one that went around a couple of years ago when I was about six, and I can tell you it almost did kill me. So uh, it was it was a tough time to go through, and I really uh, appreciate what everybody went through with that for a few years ago. Uh, thank God that's now gone. I think it's like in every, I don't know, every so many years it comes back. But, um, you know, I, I just, I'm not a flu shot fan. My doctor and I go round and round about that. But it is what it is. I typically don't get them anymore. But, you know, i got a little sniffles going on, started this morning, and I'm, I'll be okay. I take a lot of vitamin C and stuff for that kind of stuff a lot of fluid. So, all right. Well, having said that healthy report, uh, uh, how, David, how, how'd your week go? You all right? Yeah. Kind of busy, but um, real good. Not able to get in a lot of fishing. Um, lake's kind of uh, sketchy right now. Um, some places you would need planks to get to the safe ice. Still ice out there. But um, it's only walkable ice. Um, 
nothing you can drive without ATV on. We'll be careful on the ice, oh. folks. All right. So, um, David, I, I'm going to suggest that you're prepared to do a recap on yours as you start lead into your report, right? Like we did last yes, week. Yes, I am. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff, you want to start your? Well, wait a second. Let me let me uh, do a little housekeeping here. We have this uh, uh, class within a class, and this relates to the tiers in our in our plants now. Um, the uh, uh, notion that you cannot create a class within a class is, in legal terms, uh, called the equal. Equal protection laws. It's under the. In, it's contained in the Fourteenth Amendment of the U.S. United States Constitution. Uh, that means, you know, and it's designed just for government purposes. But because of some case law over the years since the Fourteenth Amendment, um, it has expanded into the um, private sector as well. Uh, let me just say an example that's been asked for. Let's say there are 20 houses on a street in the same municipality, in the same area, obviously, with no lines of demarcation between uh, any political jurisdiction. It's all the same. And these 20 houses are essentially identical. They're the same square feet, same size garage, same size basement, same size lot, and uh, from all intents and purposes, they're all equal. Whether equal or not, as the millage is applied to those houses, okay, and we'll say it's the mills that are that are applied to each house. Again, whether equal or not. Uh, the 70 mills would be assessed on that property. And they have to all be assessed at 70 mills under the the Equal Protection Clause. Okay? So, if somebody were to have a house that had 75 mills on it because you were mad at them, that would be a violation of the Equal Protection Act. And, and or clause in the uh, 14th Amendment, or if somebody that you liked got 65 mills assessed on their property, that would be a violation. You cannot create a second class up or down from the class that that you have. Okay, it, everything has to be 70 mills across the board. In other words, tax the same. When you create a second class within another class as a wage base for the same job and the same seniority status, seniority to employee, then that's a violation. I was asked last Sunday on a on a another radio talk show, well, how do you plan on fixing that? You really, when you get there, I mean, there's a lot of people out there talking loud and saying nothing other than I got your back, but they don't have a plan. And this is one element of our plan, 
to fix a lot of this stuff. That's quite simply to address the Equal Protection Act and apply that to our agreement. Find them to be unconstitutional, something that the current leadership is afraid to do. And we can go into a lot of whys on that, but for now, we'll just leave that as it is. We can likely fix that fairly easily. And we'll talk a little bit about that in the Icabelli report that I'll be having later. Because there are some parallels to all of this at some point, notwithstanding the report of the current UAW president. So that that should explain a second class within a class and the idea that the tiers in our system can be addressed. Now, they can't be addressed beyond that when you get into the temporaries, but we'll address that in another way so that we have a pathway to seniority as provided for in the paragraphs in the Detroit 3, especially I think it's paragraphs 57 of the General Motors Agreement, and do away with Appendix D almost in total. Uh, and we'll get to that, and there's reasons that we can be successful with it that beyond what I've just said are... Uh, um, that's enough to be said about that. We don't want some of this stuff is proprietary, and we don't want to give our competition everything in our little uh, quiver, if you will. So, uh, with that said, uh, Jeff, do you want to go ahead and start your report? The Constitution. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just going to do Article Nine today, Leroy. Um, Article okay. Ten is quite long. That's fine. And we'll do Article 10 on the next show. We'll start on the next show. Article 9 is the political requirements of union officials, international officers, international board members, international representatives, and local union officers shall, from the date of taking office, be required to register and vote in election purposes civil officers in the area in which their homes are located, provided they are eligible under the laws of the area that is physically possible, is physically a possibility for them to do so. Violations of this section shall be subject to the person charged to be disciplined proceedings of the procedure provided for in this constitution. And that's all Article number nine states, um, I have known uh, union reps uh, to vote against the best interests in the general elections, um, but you have to be uh, required to vote in all the elections in your area, state, and federal elections. All there is, Leroy. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, David, do you have any questions for 
Jeff on that matter? No, not on that one. Okay, that seems pretty straightforward there. Vote, you know, and uh, do your best to get there. I'm sure there's some times when you might not get there, but the Constitution requires you to vote in all of them. Uh, you better have pretty good reason when you don't. Uh, okay, so having said that, uh, uh, David, are you ready for your report? Sure, Larry. Um, what we've been discussing is um, the GM Warren memo. Um, the Warren memo was drafted by Alfred Warren in 83. Um, the intent of the memo was to influence um, 1984 bargaining. Um, it laid out um, GM's plan to um, bring the UAW in with them in cooperation. I'll recap um, some of what we've already gone over. To achieve labor cost savings per hour, GM intends to eliminate the UAW's cost of living allowances, COLA, and annual improvement factor, AIF. GM also wants to reduce the annual rate of increase in benefit costs. High on their list will be pensions and health care expenditures. In return for giving up COLA and AIF and full payment, GM proposes to extend its profit-sharing program. Since 1982, each UAW member gave $5,500 in concessions, deferred wages and COLA, and lost paid personal holidays and bonus holidays, while they averaged only $640 in profit-sharing in 1983. To reduce man hours per car, GM plans to continue its assault on local work practices. The Warren document suggests that plant management and supervisors actively support local changes in work practices, seniority work practices, and seniority bumping procedures that increase productivity. The third objective of the GM plan concerns outsourcing. Over the last decade, the production of automobile components and subassembly operations has been shifted to both domestic foreign producers where there are low wages and poor working conditions. The result of these shifts has been permanent layoffs for American workers. According to the internal document, GMO attempt to retain the current procedures regarding outsourcing decisions and pursue fair implementation by management and avoid infringement of management's right to affect internal sourcing decisions. Furthermore, GMO attempt to facilitate a competitive approach to subcontracting. This is it will continue to subcontract as much work as possible to outside facilities so that workers at these facilities will be forced to compete against each other and be disciplined by the marketplace. Now we will um, pick up that section four that we will be just um, doing this week. At this time, 
that GM intends to decrease compensation, decimate local agreements, continue outsourcing and subcontracting. The company wants auto workers to participate participate in joint problem solving. To achieve this objective, Warren suggests the following strategies. Increase the jointness of quality of work-life programs. Strengthen the national and local joint councils for job security and competitive edge. And initiate joint problem-solving activities at the international and local levels. To further the objective of altering labor management relations, GM also suggests a strategy of replacing the three-year cycle of formal bargaining with a continuous problem-solving process, living agreements. The living agreement suggests flexibility and cooperation through informal counseling and conflict resolution. In such a climate, local negotiators are unnecessary because of the ongoing nature of the problem-solving process. It can be expected that under the adjust of problems to be solved will be the lines of distinction between skilled trades and production workers, reducing the number of job classifications. Control over hours, overtime, bumping and transfers, and even health and safety issues. The unspoken goal is to remove union protections against arbitrary discrimination and capricious decisions which limit management's authority over pace, content, length, manning in the workplace. And that's where we would leave off this week. Um, next week we will do the final section um, of uh, the Warren Memo. Uh, we will also um, get into the public relations campaign in the conclusion. Um, for anyone who wishes to view the Warren Memo and this article written by John Russo. Um, these are on our website. Um, the Warren Memo itself is a slideshow. It was a presentation. Um, so both of those are there on our website um, at any time you would wish to view them. Okay, Lyra. Okay. Uh, Jeff, do you have any questions or comments on that? No, I don't. Good job, Dave. Yeah, good job, Dave. Very nice. Um, well, that brings us to my report. And I would remind everybody of what Jeff or what David just said. And you can see that tiers were planned in 1983, that competitiveness was planned in 1983. Outsourcing was planned in 1983, and all of that has come full circle and manifested itself over the years. We had, you know, membership in the early 80s, you know, late 70s, a million and more, and we're bouncing around 416,000 now latest LM2 filing. No real uh, attrition in membership. A lot 
lot of outsourced and overseas jobs. In 1984, I'm sorry, 1982, uh, John Russo reports that $5,500 of those year's dollars was given up for the purposes of making our jobs more secure. That money was taken right out of the pockets of our members and used to purchase Hughes and EDS, and those were sold at great profit, to which the membership did not enjoy any part of that. And now some of that money has been used to purchase overseas companies, create whole new entities that are no longer part of the stockholder base. In fact, the stockholders, somebody told me, watch watch where the money goes in all of this bankruptcy. Stockholders used to be in majority, just you know, regular rank and file membership. That seemed to go away through the bankruptcy to zero. The stock price went to zero, and now a commensurate amount of stock is being held in the Viva. real hard to see how that happened but we used to have the same amount of stock individually and as individuals is currently in the Viva interesting analogy isn't it watch what happens somebody told me once in controlled in control of the membership by and large now controlled by the Viva. They didn't want us getting too powerful as a group of employees. We might actually take an action. That's an interesting uh, dynamic that occurred. You can't point to anything. You can't make any accusation other than Euclid's old statement that all things that are of equal value are likely related. Euclid was a mathematician in the, I think, uh, early 1800s. might have been earlier than that, but I'd have to look. Uh, so having said that, uh, you know, we, we had a couple of contracts that I know one sister uh, on another show, uh, I think she described them as a, capitulation and uh, a death process. That was the conversation after, on another show after the last FCA ratification, the second one for the 2015. There's a lot of work put into that on that radio show. We broke down that contract uh, immensely, and uh, we always thought something was wrong with that. 
as it turns out on that same radio show, a high-level UAW official anonymously wrote in after the international UAW took control of those ratification vote for FCA. But I can't tell you how it was done, but you know it was done. And that's in re- uh, he actually wrote that in 15 minutes before the show. And I had commented, and he said the same comment in his email, on, uh, in, independent of uh, each other, because neither of us knew we were going to say that uh, in advance. I guess I kind of had my own thoughts about it uh, in advance, but it passed by 65% in the first vote. I'm sorry, it went down by 65% in the first vote. And it passed in the second vote by 77%. That was a swing of 42 points. And I went on to say that I've seen 20, and some of you know that I was the cap coordinator for UAW Region 1C, now combined with 1D. And I was chair of the Democratic Party here in the county where the capital resides, so I kind of know just about everything you can think about regarding politics uh, and the dynamics of uh, a turnaround vote. I'd seen 20%. We won't get into that election, but I'd seen 20 And I suppose that 25 or 6% pushes the envelope in a two-week period, all things being equal. But in the case of the second ratification attempt, the contract was arguably worse. Yet it had a 42-point percentage point swing. And that's what this high-place UAW official said as well. And he said, and I quote, I can't tell you how, but you... You know, you must know how this happened. We have that in the download. So it's proof, and we control that proof. That somebody thought and reported that it might not have been kosher. That's the election itself. A lot of work went into telling everybody what's in that contract. And now we find out, through the Icabelli plea this past week, that he, his plea agreement agreed to um, 18 U.S.C. 371 conspiracy to commit offense to defraud the United States, USC 7206I, fraud and false statements, and then as the elements of that, 29 USC 186A2 and D1, two or more persons conspired to violate the 
Management Relations Act. Defendant knowingly and voluntarily joined the conspiracy, and a member of the conspiracy uh, made an overt uh, action for the purpose of advancing or helping the conspiracy. Filed false tax returns. And some of the commentary here is very, very interesting. Uh, those are the things he was charged with. Uh, the maximum is uh, a total of eight years, and the maximum uh, supervised release is four years. There's no agreement on that. And the maximum fine is 350000 for the two counts. And there's no agreement on that. Restitution was $867,927. Um, and let me just get into reading a little bit from a couple of ex excerpts here. Uh, yes, uh, at the end of 2009, okay, FCA Vice President Alphonse Alcabelli met with... FCA Director, FCA 7, and FCA Senior Manager, FCA 11. That means 11 people on FCA side are being identified as FCA 11. We don't know if anything is going to happen to these people. It's just that these are the people they've interviewed. And... FCA finan uh, financial analyst Jerome Durden to review spending of NTC funds. During that meeting, Sacabelli explained the cost cutting was no longer at the NTC and that it was time to consider funding for selected high value, high leverage programs. End quote. Alphonse Icabelli identified a $50,000 transfer to UAW Vice President General Holyfield's Leave the Light On Foundation as one of four such, quote, high-value, high-leverage, end quote, expenditures. That was 13. Uh, number 14, this is... Uh, in February 2010, another FCA executive gave a custom-made Tierra Cielo to UAW Vice President General Holyfield, along with the Tierra Sierra Mare watch, was a, I can't even say it, I mean, think about something, the watch that you can't even say the name of, people, was a, uh, along with the was a handwritten note from the FCA executive that stated, Dear General, I declared the goods less than 50 bucks. That should re remove any potential conflict. Best regards, and see you soon, end quote. Just because they announced it was less than 50 bucks, that's supposed to make it okay. 50000 into his nonprofit. 
in our contract that year was, again, they were lead, I believe, in, in 11, where they relieved monies to go into pensions. They didn't, uh, they, they uh, froze the pension credits so that after 30 years, with some nuances, you really didn't gain any more credit for toward retirement. Uh, those that had some time after 30 got a stipend up to $250, I believe it was, for the next five, but there's no provision after five years and no automatic amount for the uh, 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 accrual of additional pension credits. I'm scrolling down here uh, to see another one here, start of 11. Okay, this is the one that seems to be in conflict. Uh, on February 18, 2015, remember that's the same year of the 15th, the second agreement, FCA Vice President Alphonse Icabelli, FCA Manager Senior, FCA Senior Manager, FCA 10, sent an email to UAW official UAW number four offering that CA would pay would make lump sum payments of $50,000 to select UAW officials as one-time non-precedent setting retirement offer offer to ensure that the rank and file UAW members would not be made aware of the $50,000 payments offered to only offered only to senior UAW officials. FCA 10 assured UAW 4, my people will process the transactions to keep them out of the plants. Now, we'll get into that a little further. Well, let's just get into that a little bit now. Uh, regarding these payments, in a response article statement, from UAW President Dennis Williams, he said that those came before him and that he and the legal uh, department did not approve them and they were rejected out of hand. The question then becomes when somebody makes the comment, my people will process the transactions to keep them out of the plants. Did my people process the transactions to keep them out of the watchful eye? It's just a question. We don't know. Hopefully not. They were rejected. But here they are, written by attorneys and signed by a federal, well, they're, they're just, this is a plea agreement. It's, it's been filed with the federal court. It's been signed by the judge. It's been filed by the federal court. I think it's May 29th. He's going to be sentenced. Somebody's got some background noise there going on. Is. Somebody might want to mute. Um, Oh, 
information on who number four is. Uh, so we, we just don't know. Um, you know, so <laughs> uh, I must say that that's an interesting defense on, on this number item number 23 and this this uh, like a belly plea agreement. You know, it's here. You know, it's in print. And, you know, it says it's just an offer. Okay, but, you know, hmm. uh, we we just don't know. That brings us to another point. You know, it seems as though FCA's making all the decisions with the, how the money is expended here. I want to remind everybody of something. These joint programs are joint programs, supposedly funded by both the UAW and management, one of three, Ford, FCA, and General Motors each independently having its own uh, monies. But it seems as though these corporations are making the decisions. They meet independently and unilaterally to make these decisions on how money's going to be spent. Is that now becoming a thing of value to the UAW? Just a question. Other people will be answering that question. You can rest assured on that. Mm -hmm. We were playing nice until last Sunday, and now reprisals have begun. And you're not going to like them, you no good, rotten people. So, um,. That identi they identified up to FCA 11, so there's 11 people that they have talked to uh, that have been identified in this plea agreement. Uh, so, and there, to my knowledge, it went up to four on the UAW side. Uh, that's that's a lot. It's really disconcerting. I mean, there's a lot more, and it's available on our .com as a page. Uh, what went wrong? or uh, I guess it's a companion page uh, over there that you can find it on. And uh, this is uh, pretty interesting. It took me a little time to be able to post a PDF on onto our, our .com. I spent some time realizing that they had to have some different software to do that, and we bought it and took care of it But uh, so that you can read it in its entirety for yourself on that. Um, just unbelievable to read through this on how they manipulated and paid monies and he agreed or he admitted to uh, a million five uh, that had been paid to uh, paid out I don't want to get into all of that because it's in here but uh, I don't read it exactly I'm only going to say a million five is what he agreed to in addition, it's just unbelievable 
that some of this stuff, I mean, uh, authorize the expenditures of more than $450,000 to pay personal purchases made by UAW Vice President General Holyfield and UAW officials on their NTC-issued credit cards. That's between 2012 and 2015. Personal purchases. $450,000. That would go a long way to paying four or five people in a plant for the whole year. Maybe more. And then, depending on how much they're making, and benefits too. This has got to stop, brothers and sisters. It's got to stop. The problem, the problem that I said, you know, in the GM agreement, is that this was lead, and everybody, everybody here seemed to have gotten some money, and they went to Chrysler to lead. All right. I got this queued up somewhere. I want you to listen to something. Okay. I think we can do this. Let's see. Listen to this. Talk a minute just about this FCA strike, or the vote, rather. I'm sorry. Uh, the FCA vote was 65 no. And less than two weeks later, it was 77. Yes, that's a 42-point swing. Now, you know, one of the things I was was cap coordinator for Region 1C when it still existed. Now it's 1D. So I know all, all about politics that you can possibly imagine, been chair of parties and all the rest of that stuff. But uh, I must tell you, 20 uh, percent is the biggest one I ever saw in a two-week period swing. I'm guessing maybe 25, 26 is probably pushing the limit. This was 42. Now I know the contract changed and arguably worse. So you uh, you wonder about that. I just uh, I just I'm just a scorekeeper here. I just look at that number and say I've never seen one like it before. That much of a swing. Well, uh, let me, uh, Leroy, let this, this goes along with. This is uh, looking forward to Monday morning, and it came in 10, 15 minutes before the show. Okay. Uh, it says, well, Chrysler voted for their contract. I can't tell you how this happened, but I think you all know. Let's see. First vote. There's more to that, but that's his first sentence he said. I can't tell you how it happened, but I think you all know. If I want to give attribution, that's an, a brief expert excerpt from the UAW Factory Whistle Show from the October 25 show, the first show after the second FCA ratification vote. I want everybody to know this man, this looking forward to Monday morning, was a regular participant and an email writer into that show. High-level, anonymous UAW 
executive, not executive, but a staff member, high level. And we just heard, we just heard right there. I can't tell you how this, they passed it, but I can't tell you how it happened, but you all know how. And he went on to say, just like I said, that we went from 65 to 72, and that 77, that was a 42, 72, 42, uh, it's a 42 point swing. So whatever, uh, 65 and 70, uh, failed by 65% and then passed by 77. That is um, mathematically impossible to do in the two-week period of time for a lesser agreement. And he indicated that it was done in ways that we know how, but he couldn't tell us. That night, I had enough. And I announced that I will take these no good, rotten human beings on in the next Constitutional Convention. That was over two years ago. I and the team surrounding this working for a living have been working hard ever since to do just exactly that. And we will not be denied. This has to end. This corruption has to end. And there's more. There's more. We have more than just the NTC. And we're going to use it. When our union stoops to the level when good union brothers and sisters stand up for what's right, fair, just, and proper to prevent a convicted narcotics felon from holding office in our great union as banned or as barred by Title 29 USC 504 and they have retaliatory actions charged by the convicted narcotics felon within days. And there are attempts and under appeal have lost their good standing. That is an all-time low for our union. And this has been at the very least, at the very least, acquiesced by the UAW International to occur. To the extent, and I'll say this on air, any and all charges are by Article 31 made against another member by the interpretations of a Constitution Convention 
That means you must abide by those interpretations. Those charges are to be considered as submitted in their specific nature. When appealed to the level of the International Executive Board, the International Executive Board asked for additional information, were given additional information, notwithstanding that they could not expand in any way those charges. They brought in a completely different trial that they're considering as they considered these to be proper or improper charges. That's the first thing that you have to do. You have to determine whether they're proper or improper or have violated the retaliate, retaliation that's produ, pro, uh, pro, protected against in federal law. We have stepped to new lows that most members don't even understand or have occurred. Notwithstanding this Icabelli plea, there's been some things happen in our union that just make you sick. Make you sick. There's a 260-page document that in every instance impeaches the charges that were made. While the IUAW expanded them, they did not provide the charged parties with the collaborative witness statements so they may even rebut them. The local union did not, nor did the IUAW International Executive Board afford the charged parties of those so they might rebut them. Can anybody say, oh, 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 and the trial committee didn't allow them to cross-examine? The trial committee and the entire membership at the June membership meeting because they allowed, with foreknowledge, for, for they allowed a convicted narcotics felon been appraised of his offender tracking information system record and a federal law that prevented him from ascending to office And yet and still, each and every member, with the exception of one who moved to adopt an appeal to try and prevent such, allowed this person, without stipulation, statement, even if they didn't like the appeal that was before them, they could have said, I move not to allow this person who is quite clearly a convicted narcotics felon, by the way, everybody's friend, obviously, they approved the 
election committee report. Let him stand for and take the oath of office, making them potentially guilty of election fraud. These are the same people that were on the trial committee. A motion for change of venue for that purpose and others was never even answered. That's how low our union has gotten. The Constitution, I'll point out, was written long before Document 46, special appointees in the local union that are beholding to the chairman and president to retain their job. That dynamic in and of itself speaks to change of venue. I can't tell you how sick to my stomach I am of the current executive board. Each and every one of you are despicable human beings. Working for a living is going to continue to address corruption and violations at every level. Rest assured of that. And more. And the and more you're not going to like. Because we know more. We have more than the FBI has on you because we've been collecting it for a long time. And we were going to play kind of nice. Not anymore. You're despicable. That's the end of my report, fellas. Jeff, do you have anything? Nothing that I can say on air. Um, I said as much as needs to be. Total other words. Um, mm-hmm. We are going to continue to fight. We are not giving up. Um, we are circling the wagons, if I may use that term. Um, there's a lot of people very upset over what happened. And I'll leave it at that, right? I will say this. It takes two-thirds of a, those present to overturn any previous motion. Everybody pay attention to what I just said. You, you listening from that particular local, takes two-thirds of good people present at a union meeting to overturn what I just described. If there's an ounce of good in 60 people in that local union, you ought to make the next meeting, maybe 70, and handle this yourselves. Because it's gone, it's already gotten 
some attention that they're not going to like. A lot of attention. So some of you think I've been quiet lately. Maybe I haven't been so quiet. Um, all right, David, do you have anything? Um, yeah. Um, trying to get to it here. In the uh, Detroit News this week, um, there, this is an article in regards to um, the Icapelli plea agreement. Um, they're speaking to um, the letter um, written to the membership that uh, Williams addressed the issue of the $50,000 payments. Um, it says in part, Williams refutes the $50,000 payments, which Eichel Valley says were offered as retirement packages to select senior officials. What Eichel Valley's plea agreement fails to disclose is that these proposed retirement payments were reviewed by UAW legal counsel. The UAW president wrote immediately, rejected by me and never paid to anyone. And what date did he know this? And did he ever disclose it to anyone? Those are questions we don't know. <clears throat> so I have certainly goes to prior knowledge now, doesn't it? I'm leaning that way, Leroy. That's what he said. He said it. We didn't. Okay. Well, that's about all that uh, I have. We're about 8, 10 now, about 70 minutes. Uh, Jeff, do you have anything to add to the show at all beyond uh, this uh, that we discussed this evening? No, I don't, Levi. Okay, thank you. Uh, David, do you have anything to add to the show? Um, no, I don't remember. Okay, thank you. Um, I want to thank all the people in the switchboard. We, it's it's nearly full. It holds 50, and we're, we're nearly full. We had a lot of listeners tonight, and I see some familiar names. Really appreciate that. Encourage everybody to do their very best as union members. Um not only those in the in the chat room here that are leaders, but also each and every member. When you see something wrong, stand up. And when they whack you, you get a hold of us and we'll whack back. Our team has come under tremendous pressure without going into all of it. People fired. Harassed so bad they quit. Membership removed. Good standing membership. Still have membership, just not in good standing. This is this is bad, people. Real bad. And it's political. And that also violates the law. 
at some point, coincidence goes away. You know, I want to thank everybody that signed up to be on our list. We really appreciate it. The list is growing. We got some good numbers. Thank you for the listeners of this show that in part caused that to occur. We're going to be successful because we're doing things that pretty much nobody else has ever done. and better than some that have tried. We have a great team. People are educated, they're balanced, ethnicity balanced, gender balanced. Our UAW leadership has the women and ethnic minorities have been underrepresented for decades, and that's about to change. And not in anybody else that's running, because they got a token woman. We don't have token women. Don't, don't have a token woman. We have a lot of women. One of them is going to be president of the UAW. Believe that. These, these, these women are sharp. They're experienced. They're educated. Smart. They don't come any better than the people that we've been recruiting and getting into this team. Amazing people. Thank you all, each and every one of you, for being a part of this. You're all very special. Very special people. And those that are not slated for office that are supporting this in big ways, thank you also. You know, you all know who you are. We're doing the best that we can. Wouldn't it be nice to have this show on from the president's office with a team from the IEB sitting around the office in chairs answering your questions? And every Friday as we can visit a plant or office or other facility once a quarter in every region. Wouldn't that be nice? Building the solidarity it takes to eventually take on management in a positive way for our members. And you're going to hear more about how that's going to happen in another couple of weeks. To everybody, have a wonderful Super Bowl weekend next weekend. As I stated earlier, the uh, work-life balance is important, so we'll just do an encore show next week. People get a chance to visit with their friends and family for the Super Bowl. It's you know kind of a big event among our membership and uh, certainly our team. So thank you. If you found value in this show. Please tell one member, one other person, check us out. We're giving you a lot of stuff that you're not getting other places. 
that posting for the Icabelli plea agreement openly came from one of our top leaders, a female, an African-American female, highly educated, smart, articulate, with a lot, a lot of good accolades. (laughs) She just said, stop it. (laughs) God love you. All right. Well, that's about it for tonight, folks. Have a good one, and we will talk to you uh, in two weeks live and next week by Encore Show. Good night, David and Jeff. You folks. Good night, guys. Good night, guys. Good night, everybody. Good night.